0: Blah blah blah. Green economy. Blah blah blah. Net zero by 2050. Blah blah blah.
1: It's gonna be very, very tough this summit. And I'm very worried because it, it might go it might go wrong.
2: We have a moral responsibility. Even if we didn't cause it, we would have a moral responsibility to do something about thousands of men, women and children have lost everything.
0: COP is a massive opportunity, but it is a huge responsibility on the shoulders of world leaders.
2: This is COPcast.
1: That was a boat full of people who I assume are police officers whizzing up and down the Clyde. It is a beautiful sunny day here. Welcome to Copcast 4. Um, The atmosphere has maybe shifted a wee bit. I would say, obviously I'm outside the fence. I'm not lucky enough to have a pass, but it feels maybe like some of the freneticism of the first couple of days, all the leaders and stuff being here has given way to a slightly more business-like feel, like people are getting down to work. Uh, and to that end, I wanted to bring you a couple of conversations today with people who are in there trying to do deals for nature. So uh, first up, we're going to have a conversation with the chief executive of RSPB, uh, Becky Spate, uh, who I spoke to earlier on uh, up at the Botanic Gardens in Glasgow. And then after that, it will be Patricia Zurita, and I apologise to her if I have mangled her name, uh, who is the CEO of BirdLife, which is an international organisation that speaks up for birds and nature. I'll let her explain, she's the CEO after all. Anyway, um, I will be back after those two chats, just to tidy up a couple of things and say cheerio, but uh, let's start with Becky Spate. So we are back in the botanics and we are bathed. In golden autumn sunlight It's absolutely lovely Glasgow is very much showing off today Uh, And I am joined by Becky Spate Chief Executive of the RSPB Who is here for Something small going on down the other side of the river Is there something that's been happening How's your cop been so far? Uh, all the better for
0: being in the botanics with you, I have to say. <laughs> it's great to get out of the melee that is, you know, there's two zones in COP, the blue zone and the green zone. I've mainly been in the blue zone, which is where the observers are and the kind of negotiations are going on. And it's it's it feels like chaos to me. I'm sure it's not. I'm sure there's a kind of direction to it all, but it's
1: it's busy. Is it a constructive kind of chaos, do you think, or does it feel does it feel a bit kind of unmoored? Because I've, I've seen a lot of people yeah. tweeting that they... They're there as observers, yeah, yeah, but, but they, they, feel, they, they feel very locked yes. off.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that has been an issue. Um, so certainly there have been, you've probably heard, big queues to get in. So just kind of physical access has been quite difficult. Lots of people have come from around the world on the basis that they were going to be able to observe negotiations. And actually, I think because of COVID secure measures, it's slightly unclear at the moment, they've often found themselves unable to get into the negotiations. Yeah. So they're literally having to dial in from inside the COP building which is kind of frustrating Uh, so you know there's been all of that I I suspect it's going to ease off that those issues are going to ease off a bit now because the the leaders summit the first two days is done so I think it will ease off a bit but those are real issues because it's so important for something like climate change that it feels really inclusive that everybody particularly from the global south you know where the impacts of climate change are severe now feels able to be part of those conversations and part of the decision making so it is really important it's not just a small thing
1: yeah because one of the things you know as somebody who's living and working in Scotland mm. right a lot of our focus on COP has been to be honest I guess a kind of excitement that something big has got it's, it's like yeah it, it's circus has come to yeah. town, right and also you know we've been you know particularly RSPB Scotland we've been very focused on trying to use that as an opportunity to talk to people about things that are happening here in Scotland, decisions that need to be made, things that can be improved. But it's important to keep in mind, this is a global summit, right? Yes. You know, whether it's, you know, Copenhagen, Paris, yeah. you know, Glasgow, where it is. How, how much is RSPB engaged with that big global picture?
0: Okay, so we have a, a small team, you know, we, who are kind of our, what I would call our climate change experts. And they have been to COPS for the last kind of goodness knows how many years. So they kind of know the COPS scene. And they're, it's like circles within circles. <laughs> they are the team that is closest to, you know, what's going on in those negotiations, what's coming out of them, what that might mean. You know, they're really into that detail and then there are people like me who come along (laughs) and I will do various kind of panel discussions around nature topics you know I will engage more in the green zone as well as the blue zone which is the one that's more open to the public you know so it's kind of it's wheels within wheels but um we've definitely got more focus on it because it's in the UK I mean this is the this is the only cop probably in my lifetime that will be in the UK so we've really kind of sent more people and really tried to have more influence in the build-up to the kind of announcements that might be made around things like deforestation but also what's going to be really fundamental is the the, the kind of sustaining the momentum and getting the traction on those very top level pledges and announcements that get made, which sound on the surface fantastic, you know And it's but it's what's in the detail
1: This is one of the things I wanted to ask you about because when we've spoken about COP and the run up to COP one of the things that we've been talking about on the podcast is like how, how would a person know whether it's been a coin or phrase, a good cop or a bad cop, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it, it is incredibly difficult to get. You know, take yesterday for an mm. example. You know, look at all these huge numbers about yes. reforestation. Yes. You know, you know, you know, a hundred billion today, we're dollars about big money. Yeah. more big money. And it sounds it sounds amazing, but then it's quite often the experience you might have with a budget, right? Mm-hmm. Where where it's a week later it turns out there was all kinds of stuff buried in the detail. It, is that what we can do do you think as, as one of the important jobs we can do as ngos is to interrogate this afterwards and really try and help people understand whether something has it will work or not work for nature
0: so i think you know there's probably three important things we need to do as ngos one is absolutely what you said to interrogate the detail to understand what it really says and then kind of hold to account against that yeah. so to make sure make sure the full picture is there hold to account against it and you know it, it's Listen, it's fantastic that nature is featuring featuring more strongly in this COP than in any previous COP. I mean, that everybody is brilliant. Says that in yeah. So everybody that is fantastic, that. and we should we should absolutely you know, build on that platform. And we should take it. So the second thing is that we need to kind of take that momentum forward into the next big COP, which is COP 15, which is the one that was postponed from the autumn. Stay with me here. Oh <laughs> goodness. Can we <laughs> get this one out of the first, please? It's happening in China uh, in the spring. Uh, COP15 is the CBD. So it's all about biodiversity. So we need to sustain the momentum around nature from this COP into the one that's about biodiversity in China. So that's the second really important thing. So detail, sustaining the momentum. And then the third thing, um, and I think this is really fundamental, is for all the great big announcements we're hearing, The key thing here is we have to reduce emissions and we have to reduce emissions fast enough. Okay? So that is the fundamental thing you've got to look for amongst all the hoopla. Are we agreeing to reduce emissions fast enough? Because without that, none of the rest of it. I mean, it all matters, but it doesn't matter as much as that key thing. So that is the thing we've got to really watch at that and keep our eye on the ball in terms of that outcome.
1: It is. Early doors, right? You know, with you know, it's what Wednesday. There's the whole of this week and next week to go. Having been there and been in, you've been in both zones, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Have Have you got any sense of how hopeful we should or shouldn't be?
0: <laughs> yeah. That, so that is a tricky question to answer at this stage. I think. Okay, so the hopeful bit of me, the optimist <laughs> says. I think I get a sense of a real shift in terms of focus, in terms of understanding the whole picture, hence nature playing a much bigger role in this COP, and in terms of um, people getting with the urgency of the situation. I do think I sense a shift in that from from most world leaders. Um, But, you know, the the pessimist in me, (laughs) you know, comes back to this point about, you know, we can all make pledges... But at the same time, we're still extracting more oil, gas, you know, coal. Pe- yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, that is the stuff that we have got to deal with. So, you know, that's the pessimist in me is it feels like there's more momentum, feels like there's a real sense of urgency, but are we going to deal with the really difficult stuff?
1: And um, probably the last thing we should see is that even those of us are not in the elevated position to have a, a green and a blue zone pass, right? Oh,
0: well, believe me, you're know. <laughs> you have mine tomorrow.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but but we, we, we can all make a contribution because there's the Day of Action coming up on yes. Saturday. And this is an opportunity for, there are, there are loads of ways, and we'll put the stuff in the show notes about yeah, how yeah. you do it, but there are loads of ways, you know, by either turning up on yeah, marches or yeah. doing virtual marches or there there is a job for everybody here right right
0: absolutely so you know we do a lot of holding politicians to account we do a lot of kind of saying you know are they doing the right thing are they actually politicians answer to the people so at the end of the day it's about people's voices being heard. And if that means going on a march to make your voice heard, I would say absolutely do it. This is the time to really show our politicians that this is what the people really want to see. And so it's vital. So get out there on Saturday, March. Absolutely.
1: Cool. Yeah, well, I'll be there. And lots of other SPB people <laughs> will be there. So listen, th- I know it is a busy time for you. So thank you for taking the time out. Oh, and a uh, good luck with the rest of court.
0: Thank you so much. It's been great to be here in the sunshine.
1: So I am here in the Botanic Gardens, and I have with me um, uh, Patricia Zurita. Apologies, I've done my best with no. that. Um, <laughs> who's the, uh, the CEO of BirdLife International. Now, first of all, what is BirdLife International?
2: So BirdLife International is the largest and oldest partnership for nature. And it was created by the RSPB, by the Audubon Society, and by what is now the French, par- uh, French partner of BirdLife Peo. Oh. Uh, we are a family of 117 organisations all over the world that are taking care of nature and using birds as the best ambassador for guiding us uh, to work, to take care of it.
1: You know, because that's a really interesting point because I think a lot of times, right, people, particularly in the UK, think, oh, our, our love of birds and our garden birds is something that distinguishes us from other... But actually, is it? do, do you think that birds are amazing ambassadors for nature everywhere in the
2: world? Absolutely. And from... From the Arctic to the Antarctic, from you know South America all the way to Asia, uh, birds birds are venerated, you know they're revered. People love them. They are wonderful, and the minute that they start learning more about it, uh, they are just following them. You know the the number of bird watchers that has grown in China has gone absolutely exponential. There's I was hearing a statistics that there's more than fifty million Americans that are doing bird watching right now. So that's, that's
1: amazing, isn't that it?
2: That is a sixth of the population. I mean just can you believe that? I mean, it's just unbelievable.
1: I suppose the other thing is obvious actually when you start to think about birds is that birds don't respect international borders either. Their lives are not constrained like ours are by passports and immigration and all that stuff.
2: No, and and, and I think the fact that they migrate, you know, 30, 30% of the birds of the world actually migrate north to south, south to, south to north, um, looking for better places for breeding and places for feeding. That actually teaches us humans that... It doesn't matter where they are, we have to take care of the planet as a whole. They are actually fantastic um, ambassadors and really canaries on the coal mine that are telling us that we have to work together, that we have to go beyond borders so we can actually protect nature.
1: Which neatly brings us to COP, right, and what we're doing at <laughs> in an international summit. So it, what, when we're thinking about the international picture, right, what are the really key things that we're hoping to get out of COP for birds worldwide?
2: Well, I think we're, we're hoping to get not only for birds but for nature a recognition that the climate and nature loss crisis are one one coin and we're just seeing the two sides of that coin and that we have to work on that together and not only that but that Conserving and restoring nature is an absolutely critical component of addressing the climate challenge. Uh, We cannot reduce carbon without nature, we cannot adapt to the changing climate without nature. So, we are hoping that the COP will come with a very strong recognition of the role of nature in the climate crisis as a solution, but also as the fact that destroying nature is instigating more climate change. But also, I think the other thing, internationally speaking, and, and you heard the commitment yesterday about uh, stopping deforestation by 2030, which is fantastic news, if it actually happens and the funding goes to the right places and to the right people, um, I think it, the other element is the financing. Is We just need to recognize that the The climate crisis that is mobilizing billions of dollars just cannot go to energy solutions and to thinking about Capturing carbon artificially, we have to think about the role that nature has, and how do we make sure that that financing goes to nature and to the right hands, so we can actually help climate.
1: And I suppose one of the other things that's really interesting when we think about, you know, the global picture, I'm particularly thinking about the global south. Mm. It's quite often it's easy if you're living in a country like the UK to think that nature would be a luxury for people in that part of the world, but nature and how well nature is doing is fundamental to their welfare in a, in a really critical way when it comes to climate change, isn't it?
2: Well, and uh, to their livelihoods. People yeah. cannot survive without nature. I mean, just think about especially developing countries like the country where I come from. I from I'm from Ecuador, from South America. Without nature being solidly integrated in everything that we, that we do, we don't have good soils, we don't have good water, we don't have filtration and we are now not having defence for the impact that we're seeing from climate change, whether they are desertification, or floods or cyclones and hurricanes so we need to make sure that we realize that the dependence of people's livelihoods and well-being on nature in poorer countries is even greater than anywhere else, and that they are the ones who are going to suffer the most when they are seeing, and they are already suffering the most because of the impact of climate change. So we do need to make sure that we are empowering them and working with them to support and restore their nature so they can be more resilient to the, to the changes that climate is, is bringing.
1: Right, one last thing. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Maybe I should have warned you about this. <laughs> if if there's one, if there's one bird or one habitat in the whole of the world, like right, that, that you've experienced or that you've heard about through doing the job you're doing, that kind of sums up the challenge that we face. What what would be the thing that would really spring into your mind? You know, what would be the thing that would make you think, oh, this is the thing we have to save. This is the thing that drives me.
2: Can I do two? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll allow you two. I'll allow you two. So the first ones, because I come from a country in the mountains, uh, I would say. Um, mountain, uh, air, mon- mountain areas and highlands. I mean, we're seeing the retrench of glaciers and how that is completely changing the dynamics uh, of the vegetation and the and the wildlife and the impact to people. You know, like whether it is more water being uh, available or not available, but creating floods or less water available for drinking water. Right. So we have to keep an eye on how are we actually enabling those uh, ecosystems to adapt and how those species are going to be having to adapt to those to those changes the second one is wetlands why wetlands are so important people depend on wetlands for food for fiber for homes for fisheries for in, for adaptation to climate change for mitigating climate change by se- sequestering carbon when we are restoring them so I am incredibly excited about this initiative because, and we're actually learning from a lot of what the RSPB has done in the UK, uh, because by restoring and protecting these wetlands, we're giving jobs to people, we're creating jobs for people, but we're also ensuring that we are using nature-based solutions to address the impact of climate and to mitigate uh, climate change by sequestering carbon. So I would say those to me, those two ecosystems are incredibly important right now.
1: Listen, we can all get behind wetlands and mountains. <laughs> but listen, thank you for taking time today and good luck with everything you're doing.
2: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, that's your lot for Cockcast 4. Uh, we will be back... Um, <laughs> With Copcast 5, I suppose. Makes sense. Um, Tomorrow, probably, uh, we're going to be, I think, tomorrow, hopefully, getting a bit more of a sense of what's going on in there, but also some younger voices uh, who can uh, share their views about the future with us. Anyway, do uh, tell people about this podcast if you're enjoying it. If you're not, um, keep it to yourself. Um, Like, subscribe, review, and uh, I will speak to you again soon. Cheerio. Goodbye.